you got a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Exodus chapter 7 tonight. We'll be looking at just the first uh, seven verses or so of this text. Um, this is one of, these, one of those evergreen uh, texts and one of those, I hope, uh, uh, to say, I don't think it's arrogant to say, one of those evergreen sermons, a sermon that I hope you can go back to and listen to and pull notes from, uh, because this is really um, really one of those um, kind of Mount Rushmore topics, uh, one of those defining uh, scriptures and, and, and ideas that the Bible presents us with. Um, and, and there are a few threads throughout the Bible, uh, throughout the whole Bible, that weaves everything together. And, and you all know this as students of the Scripture, as, as, as students and disciples of, of, of Jesus. You know this, that the Bible is, is individual collections, individual documents. From, uh, you know, some are poems, some are oracles, some are sermons, some are history books. Uh, but the Bible comes together as one book, right? 66 individual books, but one whole book that tells the redemption story, uh, that tells us uh, from beginning to end uh, the story of God's people, the story of creation, the story of the, the fall and, and what sin has done, and, and God specifically uses Israel to reintroduce himself, and, there, and through that, uh, the nation bring redemption to the whole world. And, and there are a few threads throughout the whole Bible that really, I think, kind of tie everything together. Uh, we, we often call these scarlet threads or these threads that are redemptive, that, that kind of speak to the whole story. Um, there are themes, there are ideas. There are thumbprints from God um, and footsteps of man that match up and that kind of really correspond with each other from Genesis to the Gospels. Um, and you're familiar with many of these. You all uh, sing about them and talk about them all the time. We talk about God's love, and we can talk about that from Genesis to Revelation. We talk about God's grace, and we can quote scriptures from Psalms or from John. Uh, we talk about God's power and His might, and again, that's all over the pages of the Bible. Some, uh, and as you study these sorts of things, it, people go super deep, and often we get kind of overwhelmed, right? We get over, we go in over our heads, and you'll talk, you hear people talk about the numerical trends of Scripture, right? And there's all these charts and theories, and maybe you've got a Bible that kind of, sometimes you look at the stuff that's in the margins or in the notes, and you're thinking, hey, what does that even mean? But, you know, you'll have people that'll stand up and say, well, you know, the number three represents this, and seven, and twelve, and, you know, bookshelves are full of concepts um, about, you know, hey, when you see or read about water, here's what it means, and you can correspond Genesis. To, to Exodus and Exodus to Matthew. People talk about what fire stands for and oil stands for. And, and, and maybe you love that sort of stuff. And, and often people go crazy and go super in on that sort of thing. And when you add in prophecy um, and add in other kind of elements like that, the, the mind can just turn and turn. And y'all know me well enough to know that I love connecting the dots, and I love seeing these corresponding elements from front to back and all the way in between. But I'm not big on numerology. I'm not big on typology. I like, uh, I like presenting uh, the Scripture for what it is and, and, and bringing out what I believe is on the surface for us to read and, and what God intends us to. Um, but I am big on, and y'all know this, I'm big on finding rhymes within Scripture. And I don't mean like how seven rhymes with heaven heaven, and what does that mean? Um, but I mean, as in the Bible um, often repeats itself, um, that there's often words and phrases, and there's often these, these, these clear um, uh, things that we can notice in the verses and in the scripture um, that is not under the surface, but it's on the surface. A, a preacher friend of mine or mentor of mine years ago told me, um, don't spend so much time trying to read between the lines when you've got the lines, right? And that's a pretty good advice, right? We often go so deep and try to find out what 
what's under the surface when we haven't even appreciated what's on the surface, right? And y'all can go underneath it all you want to. I like to stay um, uh, where I can see and where I can, uh, can go from verse to verse. Uh, but the Bible is a book of number is more than a book of than a, than a book of numbers and elements. It's a book of words, right? That's what books are, right? They're books. Uh, they're they're made out of words. Um, a lot of words, actually, in each word, each and every word carry a breath of life. Do you believe that? That even, even, the, the, even the transition words, even the words that connect bigger words, right? Even the words that we don't even think, we don't even pay attention to, right? The names and the list that we often skip over. Every word of God offers us a breath from heaven. And I love, I love, I love studying the original languages because as you go deep into the cultures of Hebrew and and, and Greek, you can learn so much. You can appreciate the words all the more. But what's even more amazing is when you can trace the similarity in words and structure across testaments. That when you can read the Hebrew and the Greek and then you can bring it all together under our English translations. And no matter what, whether it's in old or new, you can find these constant refrains that the writers of both old and new uh, used and were used by God to bring a cohesive and a unifying message. So uh, there's a phrase that we find, and, and there's a, kind of, it's often phrased a little bit differently, but the idea, uh, you'll, you'll know it when you see it. We find it phrased a number of times, a number of different ways, but it's always worded a little bit like this, and this is what I want to talk about tonight. You'll see in the Bible often, so that you may know. That this happened so that you might know. And, and, and we often always see that the reason it happened was so that we might know the same thing. Over and over and over again, we read this refrain and we hear this refrain throughout the whole Bible. And this is one of the greatest connective tissues. This is one of the greatest kind of redemptive threads. This, 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 this statement, this phrase, this kind of connecting sentence so that you may know It's one of the most important lines you'll read in the entire Bible, and you'll be surprised. It's all throughout from front to back. We often hear it, so that you might know that Yahweh is God. So that you might know that the God of Israel is God. So that you might know that Jesus is the one true God. That you might understand. That you might have your eyes open. That you might have confidence. That you might have assurance. That you might be saved. We hear it used that way over and over and over again. And it always comes back to this desire, this intent from the author, that we might come to know something or someone as in the reason in as the reason why this happened the reason why that took place the reason why it happened this way is so that we might know something very specific and very particular we hear this refrain in Exodus 7 and you'll know it when we get to it and you'll also know clearly what its purpose is or what the end game in it all is We'll spend a bit of time up front talking about this common thread throughout the whole Bible before diving into how it's fleshed out in this, circ- in this scenario particularly. But this is something that really serves to define God's mission and His motive, not just here in Exodus, but throughout the whole Bible and also throughout all of history. So follow along with me, if you will, Exodus 7, as God once again addresses Moses. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. 
And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, that's new. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Why, would, why are you going to do that, God? No, maybe you ask that kind of question, and I often do that, but I get ahead of myself. He goes on, But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. So God says, hey, I'm going to do all this. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. I'm going to work signs and wonders. Pharaoh will not heed your demand. But that's all on purpose. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with God looking into the mind of someone he knows is going to reject him and saying, I know he's going to reject me and I'm glad he's going to reject me because I'm going to use his rejection to work something even greater? Now that might make some people a little nervous because we're not comfortable with a God who is that sovereign and who is that aware. But God is not at all surprised and actually he has a plan. Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt that I might bring my people out. Verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know. So why is all this happening? So the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So why is Pharaoh going to have his heart hardened? Why is he going to say no? Why is God going to bring judgment on the land? It said, it's stated very clearly for us. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So we hear God reiterate this, his mission to Moses in this text. Some of this is, repeat, is, is repeated uh, from earlier chapters. But what stands out the most is that God confirms Moses' speculation that things may not be as simple as, hey, Pharaoh, I'm uh, God's messenger. You don't know who my God is. You think you're God and you've got many gods, but I actually serve the one true God. Funny story, I was out on the backside of the desert and I saw some smoke behind a bush and I walked up to the bush after talking to myself because when you're with sheep they won't talk to you so I talked to myself and I said hey I ought to go see what that bush is doing because it's burning and I got and it's a really funny story God up Pharaoh I went to speak to the bush and then God started talking to me and of course he's not the bush but God was speaking through the bush and the fire and I know that's crazy but here's the short version of the story he told me to come tell you to let us go. And Pharaoh's like, what else you got? Because I'm not too impressed. You sound crazy. And of course, Moses said, I'm just getting started. But Pharaoh was not about to let them go just because some random shepherd walked in and said, hey, let us go. And Moses had begun to speculate that it wasn't going to be easy. Pharaoh wasn't going to cooperate. God states that clearly in verse number 3 that, hey, I'm not surprised by Pharaoh's stubbornness. In fact, that's all a part of my plan. Because he's not only hardened in his own heart, I am doing that. And I'm sure Moses was shaking his head when, when God said, Pharaoh will not heed you. Of course he won't heed me. I've tried. He's not listening to me. But verse 4 through verse 5 makes it very clear. Pharaoh will not heed you, but all that so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt by great judgments, and the Egyptians shall know. So God's saying, Moses, listen, buddy, 
I know you think everything's about you and all that you're going through, but listen, I got a big plan. I got a big, big, big plan, and I'm just getting started. And all of this has to happen so that you, so that he, so that they might know who I am. Let's break it down a little bit. God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he can display signs against Egypt. So God says, hey, I've got to harden his heart because I've got to show these signs and wonders because these signs and wonders are going to make a statement. But I can't make the statement until Pharaoh's heart is hard. And God is going to display signs against Egypt so that I've got to harden Pharaoh's heart so that I can display signs against Egypt so that they may know that the Nile River God is not the only God. The sun God is not the only God. The frogs and the lice and the cows, they're not the only things that represent gods. But there's a new God in town. His name is I Am. His name is Yahweh. And Pharaoh has to harden his heart so that I can work these signs so that they might know who I am. But that's not all. Egypt needed to know that Yahweh is God so that Israel might be set free. Because if they don't ever take God seriously, they're not going to let His people free. So that they need to know so that they'll say, hey, you can go. But that's not all. Israel needed to be freed so that they could meet and worship Yahweh as God at Mount Sinai. So Israel needs to be out of Egypt because they can't get to Sinai if they're in Egypt. That's easy enough, right? And they needed to get to Sinai so that they could meet and know and worship the one true God so that the whole world might one day know that Yahweh alone is God. That's the end game. That's the goal. That's the rhyme and the reason. So what is the common idea? We see it in verse 5. We've heard it loud and clear. So that we might know the one true God. This was not just God's motive and His mission in ancient Egypt. Let me make that very clearly. This has been, and hear me, will always be God's motive and mission in the world. If you wake up tomorrow and say, I wonder what God is up to today. I'm not saying He's not paying attention to your little scenario or what's going on over there or what's going on down the street or up the road or across the country. But big picture wise, from heaven as He looks down on planet earth, God has one single motive and mission. God's desire and motive within each day is that the world might know Him as the one and only God. That's what He's up to. And that's what He's after. Now, surprisingly enough, or maybe not surprisingly, we see this throughout the whole Bible. It couldn't have been clear if we would just read the whole book. We hear writers say this is why they're writing. We hear prophets interpret every event. You say, hey, Isaiah, why'd this happen? So that the world might know. Hey, Jeremiah, why'd that happen? So that the world might know. Hey, Ezekiel, hey, Daniel, come on. John, why did this happen? We receive invitations to follow Jesus because this reality is on the line. We hear disciples saying they are willing to go through whatever it takes because this is on the line. One day, a little shepherd boy watched everybody run from a battlefield because Goliath was scaring everyone. Who would be so foolish to go and stand in his way? It looked as if the Philistines were going to take over the land of Israel once and for all. But young David went into the battlefield overshadowed by Goliath's stature, overpowered by his might. 
Stranded by every other soldier and every leader of Israel, David was frozen not out of fear, but out of the desire and determination. Goliath laughed and the rest of Israel trembled. Why would God put anyone up to this? Come on, David, you don't have to do this. Saul said, you don't have to do this. Your daddy said, you don't have to do this. Samuel is nowhere around saying, you've got to do this. Why are you doing this, David? Meanwhile, Goliath mocked and cursed and said, David, you're about to be bird food. But David raised his voice and said, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And, and he said something that calls back to Exodus. He says something that calls back to God's everyday purpose and mission in and through his people. And he looks Goliath in the eyes. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Big words for a little boy. Well, are you just, are you just wanting to do that? Because you just want to, I mean, are you just saying that, David, because it'd be cool to cut off a giant's head? I mean, that's kind of gruesome. But is that, why are you wanting to do this, David? Just so you can say you won? He says, no, 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 it's better than that. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And it's not just you, Goliath. I'm going to strike down every one of your men. Just to win a battle? No, it's better than that. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know the Lord saves not with a sword or a spear. David, clearly a student of the Scripture and history, said God's up to something bigger than just winning this battle. This is so everybody might know. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that clear? That not only reshapes how we see the world, but it might reshape how we see our challenges. Solomon evokes this when he dedicates the temple. He says, God, we're giving you this building so that the world might know. Elijah pleads with God on this account at Mount Carmel when the nation is divided and has turned away. He says, God, please pour your fire down so that the world might know that you're still our God. We see this repeated again by the prophets perhaps most clearly and and maybe most famously, Isaiah. That people may know from the rising of sun from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. So hey God, what are you doing? Why are you so persistent with Israel? Why are you so determined? What is your motive? So that the world might know. When Israel breaks faithfulness to God and worships other gods and they are going to be exiled, Jeremiah and Ezekiel both say that their punishment was given so that they might know Yahweh is God. That even in discipline, it was so they would know. Daniel, who was a Jewish exile who becomes a Babylonian advisor, used this refrain when, Nebuchadnezzar char- when, when he's before Nebuchadnezzar and he's charting out the future of not only Babylon but of the whole world, honestly. We often get lost in the details of Daniel's prophecies and we try to line up and match up and predict everything, but we miss something that's so huge that is right in the middle of that oracle. Daniel basically outlines how God works in and through all the governments of the world, even ours. And listen to what Daniel says the angels told him that God's motive was. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know 
that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. The lowliest. Sometimes you're impressed on how lowly they can be. But what is the end of it that Daniel tells us? So that we might know. Of course, when we get to the New Testament, the writers picked up on this refrain from the old and used it to frame who Jesus is and why He came. Luke introduces the gospel. He introduces his gospel. He says, hey, the reason why I've written this story, we know this very well from our recent study. He says, the reason why I've written this story is that you may know that you may have certainty concerning the things you have heard, the things you've been taught. And he and all the gospel writers tell us the story of Jesus through this lens. Defining and detailing why Jesus came and what Jesus did. Jesus himself said that we should interpret every miracle, every sign, every wonder, every word he ever said through this lens so that you might know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's why I heal people. That's why I feed people. That's why I've done this and I did that. That's why I preach there and why I'm going there is that you might know there is redemption. Through me. One time Jesus was talking to the, to the crowds, and it, it kind of seems like he's under, undercutting himself, but he, he said to the people, Listen, I don't care what y'all think about me, but y'all better understand that it's only through me that you're getting a glimpse of God. And y'all might not like me, but God is trying to show you something because they were just so, they couldn't see past the forest for the trees. But here's what Jesus told them in John 10. But if I do them, these miracles, even though you don't, do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. He said, I know you don't like me, but I hope you at least acknowledge that what I'm doing isn't normal, and what I'm doing is, is a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-universe thing to show you that God is present. To show you that God is for you, and that He's offering you a way to know Him. John would go on to write that he was so confident that Jesus was God in flesh, that Jesus was the exclusive way to know and encounter God. John beckons to us from his little letter later on. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm writing to y'all so you'll know if you know Jesus and you worship Jesus and you follow Jesus, you have met God. And for the first century people, that had, that the idea of God in flesh was still a unique thing. That was a pretty big, bold statement for John to say. And John's trying to get people excited about what it means to know Jesus. You know eternal God. You have eternal life. The Apostle Paul was so convinced that Jesus was God made flesh. He was so confident that he had come to know God through Jesus alone that he wanted to be as close to Jesus as possible. He was even willing to lose everything if it meant getting closer to Jesus. You know why he had that kind of confidence? You know why he had that kind of devotion and dedication? You probably know by now. Paul says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and share in His sufferings. So Paul, why are you so sold out to follow Jesus? Because I want to know Him as much as I can. 
Because you not realize that knowing Jesus is knowing the God of the universe? I mean, this isn't Sunday school faith. This isn't I'll show up once in a while and worship and get out of here. This is, hey, I have met my God and He has been made real and clear and personal to me. And if it means knowing Him in a deeper, intimate way, I'll give it all up and suffer all i got to suffer if I can know Him more. Paul wasn't your average Baptist preacher, by the way. We could learn a little bit from him, couldn't we? Maybe the best way to finish this off is to ask or consider this. Because if, 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 you know, we've, we've heard this by now. Y'all know this by now. You'll never forget it. Hopefully not. All this happened so that they would know. All this happened so that we would know. But doesn't that beg the question? If God is trying to get us to know, that means that without His effort and without His persistence, we don't know. Right? That means if God wasn't so persistent, we wouldn't know and aren't going to know. And I, this is important for Christians to hear because we, we, we believed all our life, haven't we? We've, we've always known. You, you knew before you made it personal, right? So it's so easy to think, well, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. John, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, and the rest. I know the Bible, Justin. Come on, hey. You know, for God to love the world, I know it, I know it, I know it. I, I got saved, baptized, communion, all that stuff. I do it all the time. I know that you know it. But do you know why it's so important? I mean, it begs the question, if God is working so that we might know Him, does this mean that there are forces working against us? Right? Does this mean there's something that's trying to keep you from knowing? If God is trying to open your eyes, does that mean there's somebody trying to close your eyes? Paul knew this more than anybody, and maybe that's why he was so sold out on helping people. 2 Corinthians 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them, to keep them, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul, it's a mouthful, right? The enemy is trying to keep you from seeing the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Jesus, which is God-made flesh. Go back to the Old Testament, right? God's trying to say, I need you to know this. I want you to know this. I'm doing this so you'll know this, right? And God, Paul's saying, the image of God, they couldn't see Him, but He's been made real in Jesus. His glory is in Jesus. And the gospel is what saves us. And the enemy's trying to keep you from seeing. <laughs> Blinding you. And Paul says, hey, for what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So that you'll know. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Paul's pulling some strings right there to make all that come together. Whew. So, Pharaoh was a picture of the God of this world. Can we agree on that? The God of this world who's blinded the people's eyes. Pharaoh is a stand-in, right? He's the guy with the serpent on his head, right? Pretty obvious who that is. Pharaoh is a picture of Satan, the enemy who is at work to keep blind, to suppress people from seeing. Because what's Pharaoh doing to God's people? He's enslaving them. Oh, God's made us a free people. No, 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 you're not free. Get back to work. 
You're not saved. Get back to work. You can't be free. I'm your master, not some God you've never heard about. So clearly we see who Pharaoh is. God's statement to Moses tells us that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart to bring judgment on Egypt in order that, so that they might know, and so that Israel might know. His goal was to topple Egypt's faith system in order to establish his own fame and his own renown. Do you believe, as we heard Daniel say, that God, that this is God's motive in our world today? Thousands of years later, thousands of years later, people would say, the, people, the, the Jewish people encountered, the enemies of Israel would say, we're a little bit worried about Israel, messing with Israel, because have you not heard what their God did to Egypt? Well, that's a fairy tale. That's a legend. I mean, come on, that's been so long ago. All these years later, when you talk about Israel, what's the first thing that gets brought up? What God did to Egypt, right? So God's been made pretty famous about what happened there. That's true. Sometimes we wonder, why does this happen? Why would God let that happen? And we consider things in such a narrow, finite lens and scope. And what if this song's not about us? What if it's about Him? What if it's about the world knowing Him? God wants Pharaoh to know. God wants Egypt to know. He wants His people to know. He wants the world to know. He wanted Israel to come into existence from this primal revelation and seeing His power over the enemy and His supremacy in all the earth. It was in His judgment of Egypt that Israel would be saved. God's revelation and Pharaoh's rejection work in tandem. God makes Himself known by hardening Pharaoh's heart so that He can demonstrate His power through all of the plagues. Back in chapter 5, you'll remember Pharaoh mockingly asked, Who is the Lord? I think it's chapter 5, verse 2. Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should listen to Him? He knew, but he pretended to not. But if he didn't know, he was about to find out, wasn't he? And history tells us he did find out. And he was buried in the Red Sea. He heard loud and clear. You may wonder, is that fair? God hardening someone's heart to, let, to, to work judgments? Is that fair? Pharaoh followed the enemy's breadcrumbs to consider himself a god among the people. Any of us, and I think what we can learn from that, any of us who think, oh, we don't need God, and this isn't just for people that aren't saved. This is for when Christians say, well, I don't need God in that element of my life. You know, I need God on Sunday, but I don't know about Monday. I need God when, when it comes to my health, but not when it comes to my finances. I need God when it comes to my personal life, but not when it comes to my professional life. Or I need God when it comes to church, but not to marriage. I need God there. I don't need Him there. Now, obviously, this speaks to people who are not believers, but it speaks to us too. Pharaoh didn't need the Lord because he was his own God. And that goes against general revelation that makes it so clear that we were created. We are not our own master. There is always someone higher. There is always someone greater. Romans 1 talks about that sort of rebellion, about, how, about knowing God, but rejecting Him and exchanging His glory for glory of lesser things. Glory of things we see in the mirror or things we see in the world. 
Scripture talks about those who exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the Creator or bow at the feet of mere men or women and not God. You know, God doesn't owe any of us mercy when we reject Him. He only owes justice. If God doesn't judge, He has little regard for His own worth, right? If God doesn't judge, then He has little regard for His own standards or His own honor. God will define His supremacy in the actions that we're going to read about over the next few weeks in Exodus. By taking out the forces of darkness that sought to suppress and keep blind His people and thereby the whole world. Pharaoh wasn't about to let, people, let, it, let God's people go, but God was determined so that the world might know Him and through Him the world might be saved. You know, when I think about God bringing sight to our blinded hearts, I can't help but recall that literal healing of the blind man in John 9. Can you think about the blind seeing? You know, we think about it spiritually, but I think about it literally in that story. That blind guy that uh, was sitting around the pool or the fountain in the middle of town, and Jesus walks up and spits on the ground and makes a mud pie and rubs the guy's face in it, right? And then he just dunks the guy in the pool and says, I'm out. And then the guy just comes up from the pool and he's like, well, I can see, right? And everybody's just panicking like, who is this guy in the pool? And oh, isn't that the blind guy? Well, that's the blind guy, but he's not blind anymore because he's clearly moving around without anybody's help. And they try to get him to say, hey, what happened? And he says, what happened? And they're like, that couldn't have happened. God wouldn't do that. It's, it's Saturday and that guy that, you're, that we think was around you, that guy's a heretic. It couldn't have happened. So you, you really, you maybe, you can see, but we don't really believe you that you were ever blind. So they go and ask his parents, hey, is this your son? Was he really blind? Oh, yeah, he's blind. And then they start realizing, oh, 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 this guy, you know, is Jesus the one that did it? Oh, we, we, we don't know who this guy is. And they bail out. And that poor guy's just sitting there trying to get somebody to tell the story and be excited for him because he once was blind now he can see and they come up to him and they pressed the man because they didn't approve of Jesus or the method of healing and they doubted the man was good enough to be healed and they're like listen you're a sinner God doesn't talk to sinners how can you how can you claim that God opened your eyes remember how the man responded whether he is a sinner I do not know one thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. That you may know. That you may know. Later on, the man actually meets Jesus for the first time since he had his vision. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He'd never, he'd heard this guy's voice before, but he never saw him. Do you believe in the Son of Man, the Son of God? Do you believe that this is God made flesh? And who is He, sir, that I may believe? Jesus said to him, You have seen Him. I bet you that sent chills in the boy's skin. Because he used to not be able to see. And the last time he heard this guy's voice, he was baptizing him in the pool. Who is He? You've seen him. And now you know him. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. What was the whole goal of that? What was the whole point of that? So you might know. What is God up to? 
in the world today, you ask? He's doing this, he's doing that. So that you might know him. Let me pray for you. Father, I just want to say thank you that you are so focused and you don't get distracted and you don't get discouraged and you don't give up. And every day you're working so that we might know even when you're blessing us, even when you're disciplining us, even when you're giving, even when you're taking. The reason why you give, the reason why you take, the reason why you bless, the reason why you discipline, the reason why you do this, the reason why you do that is so that the world might know who God is. God, I hope that we just would sit on that for a while and look for you tomorrow because clearly you're looking for us that we might know that there is a God that there is a God. His name is Jesus. His gospel is the light of your glory. And through him, we can be saved. Through him, we can see. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.